Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. When it comes to the issue that we're talking about today, I have to say that over the last four years that I have run my own business, I have changed my mind a couple of times. And I think that I want to be like super blunt and brutally honest about it because I feel like this topic can be so touchy and triggering for business owners because we hold our cultures for our businesses so near and dear to our hearts, and they're often really informed by trauma or bad experiences that we have had at the hands of other business owners that were not as good, that didn't care about us. And along the way, there's been such a crazy discussion, especially when it comes to what happened during the pandemic and this anti-work movement that's come up, the explosion of the gig worker economy, and then now the decline of the gig worker economy, Um, the bubble of online business coaching and just coaching in general, coaching programs, um, as well as the ease and usefulness of building a community of other people online. All of that is to say that There are so many ways that you can build a culture that really works for you. So in the topic that we're talking about today, which I call toxic flexibility, I want to just acknowledge that this is an ever-evolving subject. And I think that one of the things that I find really interesting about it is when I start to think about building a flexible work culture and defining what those terms mean, it has truly changed since I initially started my business. And I think that the way that I was informed by it was by a couple of really toxic situations. So in this discussion today, I don't want you to feel like, oh my God, like I'm making all these mistakes. I'm making them too. Like we are all trying to figure out how to negotiate what it's like to be a leader, be an employer in a world that is changing so quickly and is so full of people's opinions that are not always in our shoes. But the one thing that I want to really point out is that I'm a big believer in things are traditional practices because they work. And I think that if you are able to negotiate the the new and trendy topics and ways of working with old school traditional kind of vibes and that like long standing traditional ways of working then you will be able to build a culture that stands the test of time but still is able to attract talent that is innovative and wants to participate in an innovative culture. So while we're talking about toxic flexibility today, keep in mind that I want to point out some of the negatives of these trendy ideas behind building a culture and what they look like and what we actually hear from employees, which I think you're going to be really surprised about. 
Um, what we think people want is not what our actual great workers really do want in a lot of cases. And there's no blanket way to do this. It really does have to feel natural to you or you're going to mess it up because you're not going to be able to stand behind the policies that you've created because you thought that you had to based on the opinion of somebody else that isn't in charge of running your business. So I know that that's a funny way of introducing an episode where I'm like, everything works and nothing works and the old school things matter and then trendy stuff doesn't, but also do them all. I mean, I feel like that's just a really good summary of what it's like to run a business these days anyways. But today's episode is really meant to kind of hash through some of these things. And I want to use some real examples about my own experience. I'm not going to tell you how to build this out, but I am going to tell you to be careful of what toxic flexibility is within your business, how you may be embodying it in some ways, and how you can make small changes to the way that you interact with your team um, to prevent there being these weird issues along the way. And I'm also going to tell you how I screwed up too, because I did a lot and I still do. And I might be screwing up now. And one of the weirdest things about it is that this is my whole job. So that means my team's probably listening to this and thinking about all the times I screwed up. So welcome to vulnerability. Okay, so toxic flexibility is one of those things that we made up because we needed to. So I think the biggest the biggest thing to consider when it comes to this is that it all really does come from a good place. So when you are starting your own business and then also when you are starting your own team, there are a lot of business owners. And if you're listening to this, you're probably one that's like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to go the route of building an agency or I have an agency or I'm managing a, a team of employees in different departments or you know whatever the case may be. But there are other people that may not think about that that much. And that's probably because it's not one of your desires to build a team. Or maybe you thought, oh, I'm going to try this out and see how it goes. And that's the only way to scale my business. But then you discovered along the way that having a team is a lot of freaking work. And scaling your business is not something that you want to do. Maybe you just want to make more money within like growing your business. So making more sales that that you deliver on or creating more passive products or semi-passive products or whatever the case may be. So when we're talking about toxic flexibility, it really does mean that you are creating an environment for other people to work under you that can be successful. So I think that this can, if you're a solopreneur, be turned on yourself a little bit and think of how you might be creating an environment that you feel is flexible, but it's actually not, and it might be functioning in a really toxic way um, for your own work environment. But this is really going to be more through the lens of managing others and managing their experience working for your business. So keep that in mind as you're listening. So Regardless, I believe everyone deserves to have a fulfilling professional environment. I mean, this is capitalism after all. We have to have a job of some sort. We have to create income of some sort in order to survive. So on that note, you might find that there are things in this discussion as a solopreneur that really relate to the way in which that you view your work and the way that you work. Um, So the first thing I want to touch on, though, is that 
and this percentage has actually changed since I first quoted it in 2020. Back then, it was that only 8% of people had any type of desire to run their own business. So 92% of job seekers and people that are in the workforce would prefer to work under someone else, meaning that they don't want to be in charge of every aspect of running a business, including ideation, product development, program development, education, management, HR, finances. I mean, you guys are CEOs, you know what I mean. So realistically, there is so much amazing talent out there that does not have the desire to generate their own income, but they may still have an entrepreneurial spirit. And one of the things that I want to address right off the bat is that we often will find job descriptions or even employers who are seeking to hire somebody who is a, quote, intrapreneur, meaning that they work for someone else, but they see it as a way to flex their entrepreneurial muscles. Now, that is a trendy term. Being an intrapreneur is a trendy term, but it's not a new concept. So throughout the different types of training I've had over the years, leadership and education training, even in participating in programs that were meant to develop my leadership, communication, and emotional intelligence, there has always been this style of worker that is like in the disc assessment, somebody who's super conscientious. You know, there's all these different ways to describe what an entrepreneur really is. And I think that by calling it an entrepreneur, it's because, and the reason that entrepreneurs are seeking that out as their employees is because it feels familiar and is a reflective of who we are. So we see ourselves as entrepreneurs. We want to be in charge of what we're doing every day. We want to have new ideas. We want to be able to have somebody else that's going to take what we say and run with it. And they're going to kind of pick up what we're putting down, so to speak, finish each other's sandwiches, that kind of thing. So at the end of the day, there really is no way to, I'm not saying that ha looking for an entrepreneur on your team is the right way to go, but I think that language can be a little bit harmful, not only in what it means to you, but also in what it means to these conscientious, goal-driven, proactive workers that we're seeking to be major players in our businesses because there is no meaning for it. So when you're seeking out somebody in your job description that is an intrapreneur, I would just challenge you to kind of think about it in a less trendy terminology and think about what that actually means to you. Because believe it or not, not everybody thinks the exact same way that we do. And if you're like me, you're probably surrounded by a bunch of other entrepreneurs too. So taking a moment to not talk to an entrepreneur about how you should be seeking out talent is going to be one of the key components in making sure that you're not creating an environment that is toxic by accident. So for example, let's say that you are seeking somebody for a project manager position in your company and you know that this person doesn't – you don't want them to be somebody that you have to chase around. It's not somebody that you want to give a list to every single day. It's somebody that you want to go and kind of give them your logins and say, manage our materials, find the gaps – you know, figure out how to like, let me know what you think, bring me your ideas, that kind of stuff. And then just let them go off and running. That's a really great way to set up their first week. So what I want to say here is that you may be seeking out a project manager that is proactive and maybe you use the entrepreneur terminology in your job post and maybe in your training for them or your orientation, you talk about how important it is that they pick up what you're putting down and that they're able to finish 
your sentences, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. And I think that that is really important, but it does come with time. So expecting them to do that within their first week of work is going to be really difficult. And it may set up really weird expectations because you're like, no, I wanted you to treat this like your own business. Well, we don't really get that. You know, our people that we bring in, we have to be able to show up and lead them. And that means making the hard decisions, having the hard conversations and taking a minute to dive a little bit deeper into how you're communicating communicating to ensure that it's not just the information that you're passing off, but the how and the why that you're passing off to these high-level talented people that you're bringing onto your team. By just putting in a job description, I want a proactive entrepreneur, it doesn't mean that you're bringing somebody on your team that doesn't need any attention, management, leadership, training, or mentorship. If anything, we just want to try to change that mentality a little bit to understand that when we're hiring we're pricing people correctly. We're making sure that we can afford them. We're setting an accurate budget and we're creating an environment for them to walk into to obtain a certain type of leadership from us. So if we're looking for a higher level person, somebody that we want to mentor, we need to be really clear about that from the jump. But if we're, and you know, we're going to be paying them a premium for it. You're going to be paying them two, three, four times of what minimum wage might look like. You may be paying them a salary, you know, however, whatever form that comes in. We're if you're hiring somebody that's entry level, an admin assistant or something along those lines that you know that you're going to develop and teach, then you want to approach that that relationship different than being a mentor. You're actually going to be training them and educating them and helping them understand the what, why, and how. So while you may be bringing different people into the same culture, you want to ensure that the way that you're showing up for those people in those microcosms of your of your culture within those smaller relationships of your culture, you're showing up for them in a different way so that you can make sure that you're getting the most out of them and the biggest bang for your buck. It's also not a bad thing to say, I want to make sure that I'm getting my ROI from you. And as long as you're pay paying people fairly, then you should be able to see a return on your investment while still being comfortable and happy with the amount that you're paying people. So if you ever feel like you're afraid to talk about things like profit margins or how much you're paying someone or something like that, or it makes you feel uncomfortable, lean into that a little bit. Is it because you are paying them more than you can afford? Or is it because that you're, you're not paying them fairly enough? Um, and I do think that that is something that can be really strategically analyzed through normal HR practices, making sure that you have salary bans, compensation bans, things like that. But all of these little things contribute to what we call a toxic culture. Now, the one thing that we see a lot of is in toxic flexibility. It's sort of funny because we're trying to avoid creating this and kind of what this term means is that we're creating this environment that's kind of like free willy, like, I don't even know what that means, like fun. You show up, you work when you want. We have four-day work weeks, take a vacation, pick up your kids, who cares, whatever. That's really not that rewarding to work in. So at the end of the day, toxic flexibility is not about not controlling anything your people are doing or not having any control of their output or interaction or not showing up for them in any type of boss type of way, whether that be a mentor, a leader, a trainer, an educator, whatever way that that particular employee needs you to. But toxic flexibility is about 
the absence of showing up as a leader and the absence of having hard conversations and the avoidance that comes with being afraid to truly step into your leadership role. So this is why as a people pleaser that is recovering, I personally love HR because it sounds kind of crazy because you'd think, oh, well, you have to be hated to be an HR person. And yeah, that's true. Like spend a little bit too much time on TikTok and I'm about to quit my job, honestly. But at the end of the day, it's not really about showing up in a way that other people think that you should. It's about showing up in your best version of yourself, creating the best type of environment that your people can show up in and using HR policies and compliance procedures and processes can be the bad cop in your business so that you do have to reinforce those boundaries and you do have to reinforce those processes and you do have to correct people when there are mistakes that are made. Um, There are some things that I'm extremely black and white about and there are some things that I'm very flexible on. And I do consider it my responsibility to bring out the best in my team. The less guidance I give, the less product productivity we're going to have unless, you know, it depends on the team member. You have to be able to adapt. I think that one of the hardest things to do is to learn to navigate those relationships in an environment that you are fully capable of uh, building on your own. And I really love leaning on HR to help you to kind of facilitate an environment that it does have a lot of flexibility, but still meets the standards of what you need from your team members. And this comes up a lot, especially when we're talking about two particular relationships. So one is the transition from a contractor to an employee role, which way back in one of our first episodes we discuss with Jordan King, um, the interaction between having contractors and having employees and swapping people in from a contractor into an employee role. And toxic flexibility runs rampant in those relationships because they were built on the fact that you are two entrepreneurs serving a purpose, a business owner and a business owner both serving a purpose. So being able to artfully, you know, not only just have there be the perfect timing in which a contractor is ready to become an employee, but also to change your own mindset and your own relationship with them is incredibly difficult. So that's one relationship where that can be really difficult to kind of combat this toxic flexibility because you're going from being peers to being a supervisor and an employee. And that's super hard. Um, Another relationship where that comes in is when you are talking about your hiring and managing family and friends. We have so many clients that have hired family and friends or have become really close to their coworkers um, or contractors along the way, and it's time to switch them over to being an employee. This can be an incredibly difficult situation because it's a really hard relationship to navigate is the personal and the professional. So, I mean, any anybody can figure out how to do it. It just is going to take a lot of conversation, a lot of communication, a lot of direct communication, and often some support. And often those that support is going to come from an outside source, somebody that's neutral, a mediator, an HR person, that type of thing to help you to kind of get everybody on the same page. So within, if you're navigating those relationships now where you're seeing that you, you know, I'll be really brutally honest in my 
company, we've had situations and in my job, I've had situations where people have gone from contractor to employee to friend to employee to contractor and back again. And it's been, you know, sometimes it is difficult. So one of the ways that I combat that toxic flexibility of I don't care what you do, just like I don't want to have this uncomfortable conversation. You're my friend, you know, whatever the case may be, is to just be really, really specific in the needs that we want and be really open and vulnerable about how you are navigating that situation so that you can actually be really, really clear about what your expectations are, what you hope to get from them, and whether or not it's working. If those relationships mean something to you, then throwing like toxic flexibility in the mix is probably going to be the thing that kills your relationship overall. So it's okay to be vulnerable and say, I'm not sure how to navigate this relationship as it's changing either from employee to contractor, which we've had, which I deal with like all the time or contractor back to employee or, you know, something like that, or even friend to employee. Those are all things that come up. And I would argue that paradigm is full of those relationships. So being able to be really clear about what your expectations are and going out of your way to be like, I'm not really sure how to navigate this is going to get you really far when it comes to making sure that you're setting the standards in which you want your team to operate without sacrificing the relationships that you've built. The whole reason that I started Paradigm is because I do believe that if you're able to take that one step further, have those more difficult conversations, then you can work in an environment that not only serves you as an individual, but as a person and and as a leader and as a business, but also serves you as as a person, as a friend, as someone that is getting a mutually beneficial relationship from people that you spend a lot of time with. Building cultures that allow for fulfilling work and fulfilling relationships is truly the dream. And I know that because I've worked in bad environments. So (laughs) realistically, I know toxic flexibility can feel really abstract, but I want to encourage you to look at the opportunity that you have within your business to make sure that you have as many guardrails and boundaries as you can that are built into the fabric of your culture so that you can operate on top and within those on a day-to-day basis. Yes, sometimes you have to guide people back into the guardrails. Sometimes you have to remind them of policies or processes. Sometimes you have to approach things from a vulnerable perspective and say, hey, I know like you know, our, our environment's pretty chill or whatever, but I really need this sent in on time each week. And at the same token, hey, I want to be really clear that I know that, you know, you are rushing to get these things done on time based on the deadlines that are put in our in ClickUp or whatever the case may be, but it really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter that much to the business. It doesn't matter to the bottom line if something gets published the next day or if a graphic is done the next day. These are all like very real situations. Um, those are the, you know, it's, it's really important to make sure and identify the things that really need that extra attention stringency and that black and white behavior versus the things that you can kind of let go, but make sure you're identifying what those things are. So as As you get and you start to build relationships with your team members, one of the ways that you can reduce toxic flexibility on your team is to have really strict and and concise and direct policies and procedures. Go back and listen to last week's episode about HR compliance um, or the episode right before this, I should say, about HR compliance and make sure that you are following all of those metrics and those those key areas in which that in which you can really show up for your business and then bring your team into that conversation. So that's one way that you can really avoid this toxic toxic flexible environment where 
I think your people aren't always going to know exactly what to expect from you. They don't know if you're flexible half the time, but then when you're times of stress, you're really not flexible or, you know, whatever the case may be. Unless you're communicating the why behind the what of those things, your team is going to fill in the blanks with their own experiences, their own feelings, and their own um their own values. And they may be creating a narrative for you that isn't exactly what you mean. So when things are really tough, it's okay to bring that up to your team as long as you're not dumping that emotion on them. And I think it can be very beneficial to take a look at the way the personalities of your team members. One-on-ones are really important. Team meetings are really important. I know everybody's always whining about meetings that could have been an email. Almost every meeting could be an email at the end of the day, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're building any type of valuable connection or any type of meaning and fulfillment behind the relationships that power your business. So while all of the things that come with toxic flexibility, like, you know, for example, let's say you bring someone into your team and you don't really give them any structure they and then you're like they're just a really great worker and they're always available and da 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 like that's all really well and good but it creates a shaky ground because that foundation has to cover a lot more space because there isn't really any guardrails showing what's really important and what isn't so i think that when a lot of businesses started back in you know even prior to the pandemic or during the pandemic it was trying to adjust to this remote work environment where toxic cultures were created left and right because people didn't know how to interact or deal or build communication with team members in a remote way. So really focusing on setting up your compliance and your policies is one thing. And the second thing that you want to do is make sure you're creating and tending to authentic relationships with your team that may or may not always have something to do with work, but should feel fulfilling And they should give space for people to come to you when they need you or not come to you if they don't need you. But even bigger than that, and they want this too, is for you to be able to go to them. So if there's something wrong, you want to make sure that you are showing up for them in a way that is going to lead, guide, and mentor them, depending on what their role is, in a way that's going to give them the clarity that they need to show up and be comfortable with their work every single day or you know, three times a week or whenever they show up. But I think that we often underestimate the power of those guardrails and the power of the attention that we can give people, even if it's just something super simple as having a fun get together or communicating in Slack about goofy stuff that doesn't really matter if that's something that goes along with your culture. But if you don't have a culture that aligns with the things that are out there to build a cultural environment or whatever the case may be, then don't fake it because what that does is it builds resentment and it helped, it's starting to create, to lose control of a culture that you're trying to create. And you want to make sure that you are at the forefront of the cultural messaging of your company. So I think that's pretty much all we have to go over today in regards to toxic flexibility. But in summary, just keep in mind that the two best ways to combat a toxic, toxic, toxically flexible, toxically, toxic, flexible culture (laughs) within your company is through your compliance and through your relationships. So Um, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know. I know this is kind of a hot button topic, but I'd love to hear about any situations that you've had at work where your boss was providing a environment that made you feel like you 
you know, maybe couldn't be yourself or you didn't know what was expected of you. So you might have been thinking you were doing a really good job, but then you found out you weren't. And a lot of that comes from communication or just like fake chillness. Um, So I think that if you are able to create a really structured and maybe there's a little bit of friction as you create it for the first time, but you set those standards, then you're able to actually operate in a lot more flexible way amongst those guardrails. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you next week. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.